Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. You are listening to Crawlspace on the Crawlspace Media Network. If you like this show, you'll love Missing, which is also hosted by us. Missing started as Missing Maura Murray, and now it continues raising awareness for all missing people. And we also have an entire network of shows you'll love. Check them out at crawlspace-media.com. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. What's up, Lance? How is it going, Tim? It's going great, Lance. I am excited that warmer weather is here, and I just want to tell the whole world about it. Well, something else that we get the opportunity to tell the world about is, in fact, the subject matter of this episode. We speak about the disappearance of Barbara Louise Cotton. Uh, she was 15 years old. She disappeared from Williston, North Dakota on April 11th, 1981. And we speak with the host of the exceptional podcast, Dakota Spotlight. Yes, his name's James Wallner. Great guy, really dedicated to this missing persons case. And he's done about five seasons on his show, Dakota Spotlight. You can check out dakotaspotlight.com. It's kind of a great catch-all. Uh, you can obviously link to listen there as well. His podcast is interesting, and obviously we have some similar interests and experiences, Lance, uh, having covered missing persons cases in depth um, for several years now. 
And so I hope you enjoy this interview. And if you have any information in the disappearance of Barbara Cotton, please contact the Williston Police Department at 701-577-1212. And I just want to make a note here that James does this full time. So any way you can support him, listen to his show, rate his show, Dakota Spotlight. He left his full-time job to pursue this, and it really turned from a passion project to a full-time project for him. Also, just another example of a good member of this, uh, I guess, citizen detective community trying to do the right thing and trying to help out families. And taking on trying to figure out what happened to Barbara Cotton is a, a challenging case to sort of initiate yourself with and, uh, you know, tip of the cap to James for doing that. Again, Dakota Spotlight. Listen, rate, subscribe, however you can uh, support this gentleman. Welcome to the podcast, James Wallner. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good uh, talking to you from western North Dakota where it snowed a couple days ago and looks like we're going to have some warm weather coming up here soon. So I live close to a train track, by the way, so this is not my technically my studio. This is my office, so we might hear a train or a lawnmower before it's over. Yeah, I think that adds some depth and some character to the episodes. So I welcome the train tracks. I, I welcome the train and the lawnmower. Um but you you were not originally from North Dakota, which is an area that I've never been and I've always wanted to go because it's just fascinating to me. I grew up in Northern California and uh, California. in the wine country up there. And my parents did grow up out here in the Midwest in South Dakota. So we used to come out here uh, in the summers, you know, visit grandma, cousins, stuff like that. I graduated from college in California in 1990. Uh, studied English and photojournalism. And then I pretty much, on the day of graduation, packed up and moved to Europe, where I stayed for 21 years in the country of Sweden. I have uh, grown daughters there today and came back to the U.S. in 2011, 2012. And I relocated to Boulder, Colorado, only because cool place to live, right? So I was there for about a year and a half working as a webmaster and uh the company I was working for, it didn't look like we were going to last. It was going to maybe, you know, maybe go bankrupt. I don't know. So I started looking for different work and I just kind of thought, huh, maybe I'll try something different. Found a really good developer job up in North Dakota and now I'm here. Well, quite a journey, a lot of traveling. What was Sweden like? Sweden. Oh, it's a really great place to live. When I moved there in 90, I was so ready to go, man. I was, and I moved to this capital of Stockholm. And after being a starving student for years, it took me a while to get through college, you know, working part-time jobs, never knowing I was going to pay rent the next month. You know, health insurance, well, in college we had health insurance, but, uh, you know, car payments. So I moved to Stockholm, you know, with one suitcase and it was so liberating and, you know, no longer needed a car because of public transportation and uh, didn't need health insurance because... You don't need that there. <laughs> you just have access to healthcare, right? So, so it was pretty much the first time in my life where I felt, wow, I can breathe a little bit for a while. And uh, Sweden's a great, beautiful place. Um, 
people are great. You know, it's different than the U.S. in some ways. Um, people are a little more reserved and things like that. But um, a lot of good critical thinking going on over there, if we touch on that later. Um, you know, one, one of the things I miss since moving back to the U.S. is being able to sit down with a group of friends to eat dinner. Obviously, during a pandemic, that didn't happen. But and, and sort of have a long discussion over three, four hours or, you know, three hours um, and have your differences of opinions and actually have some quality, how should I put this, critical thinking, you know, discussions in a pretty much civil way without things getting real heated. And I kind of miss that. That doesn't happen. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, I, things could get heated at times, I'm sure, but... Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, don't want to get political or anything, but we've been through some tough years recently So in this country. So, um, yeah, Sweden's a great place. Uh, I hope to get back in September. Maybe I just talked to my daughter, and she hasn't been vaccinated yet, so I'm looking at September next time. Very cool. Well, you have been digging into the disappearance of Barbara Louise Cotton for quite some time, and you've been doing a podcast, too. Can you tell us a little bit about your deep dive into this disappearance case? So I've been doing the podcast for a couple years, for sure. Believe it or not, Barbara Cotton, I only started working on that in January of this year, but it's just really taken off. Um, I mean, this community up in Williston, North Dakota, where she went missing, I've got so much support so quickly, especially my Facebook group. You know, I started, I wanted to start working on it a couple of years ago. You're right there. I'd sent some requests for interview requests to a retired detective and he respectfully declined. Uh, then I reached out to Williston PD. He, he suggested I reach out to Williston PD Never really got any response there at all. And so I kind of dropped it, put it on the back burner. And I honestly went up to Williston, uh, where Barbara went missing, in January, thinking this will probably be a one-episode thing, right? And a little background, I guess. Barbara went missing on April 11th, uh, 1981. So it was 40 years just recently. The story goes that she was walking home from a restaurant in downtown Williston, and just never made it home. Five block walk um, on a Saturday night. She's 15 years old, beautiful girl. And everyone I've spoken to says, you know, friends and family that she was just very kind and generous. And I don't believe it's one of those cliche things we hear in all the stories where, oh, you know, walked into the room and she lit up a room and it becomes a cliche, right? So I'm kind of weary of even trusting those sources at first, but I got to say, everything I've learned, she did really seem to be very kind and perhaps to a fault, a little too trusting and forgiving, or I should say, um, trusting, maybe a little bit gullible even. So that might have eventually got her into trouble. We're not sure. But she's never been seen from or heard from again. And I went up to Williston thinking, you know, here's a maybe a one episode story. I'll try to find out what was her route home. And since then, it has just kind of taken off because I'll tell you what I expected to find out up there. I expected after 40 years, I would expect the family to say, you know what, we're tired of talking about this, done already. You know, we're so tired of the cops talking to us and, you know, we don't want to look at, you know, 40 years is a long time. I expected one of those stories where all the leads had been worked out and saturated, but um, 
what I found out was that Barbara's siblings, who are in the podcast, have no recollection of ever being spoken to by law enforcement until about one or two years ago. Their childhood friend, Sandy, was never spoken to. And I've learned during this podcast, I did get an interview with one of the current day investigators. And if I understand this correctly, which I guess I do, the last person to see Barbara, a gentleman named Stacy Werder, was never interviewed by police ever. He's deceased today. He actually hung himself in jail three months later. And there's another person who was one of Barbara's friends who said she saw Barbara at a party that night. And I could not get it confirmed from present-day law enforcement that she was ever spoken to. Or the response I've gotten from them is, well... Just because we don't have a record of it doesn't mean they weren't interviewed. And um, so it's created a lot of frustration. Um, my podcast, you know, re- looking into this, like I said, I was expecting this is going to be, no one's going to want to talk to me. The police are going to say, here, take a look at this if you want. We don't know what to do. I mean, I've had that happen to me. I've looked at a couple uh police files from Bismarck PD where they said, you know, we've exhausted everything. You're welcome to look at this. It's open and ongoing. But instead, it's kind of like we suddenly have this situation where people are kind of not in an uproar, but there's a lot of frustrated listeners, people, including the friends and family of, especially the friends of Barbara Cotton, who are like, come on, um, was this really looked into? And present day investigators are trying, in the interview I had with the one investigator, said, we're not here to talk about mistakes that might have been made, which I guess is true to a certain point. But how do we get to the truth? How do we find out what could have been missed if we don't at least look at that? And I've rambled, I haven't rambled, but I've talked for a long time, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, okay. The, yeah, you've set up the story uh, nicely for us. I've got I've got several questions. Um, first one, I guess, is how big is the Williston Police Department? Well, let's see. They probably have. I mean, it's it's an oil. So this is in the oil country and northwestern North Dakota. So this is a. I think there's twenty eight thousand people in Williston today. So it's one of the bigger cities in North Dakota. So the Williston Police Department is, you know, appropriately the size for that size of town, whatever that would be. It's a 25,000 population today? It's 28,000 today, yeah. I think it was 13 when she went missing. Oh, so it's it's definitely grown in the 40 years. Yes, yes. And did you say something about uh, it's like an oil town, an oil city? People up there, they'd speak in terms of oil booms and oil crashes, so... With the boom comes money, em- employers, employment, a lot of people from out of state, right, who maybe background checks weren't always really done correctly. Kind of like the wild, wild west, the gold rush, right? You get prostitution, drugs, crime goes up, cost of living goes up. So the people, locals, they're on the fence a little bit, right? On the one hand, here comes all this money to our community, but there's a lot of trouble that comes with it. And um, you mentioned the last person who saw Barbara was never interviewed by police. But before his death, was there any statement or any account of what he saw that night? There was something that I discovered, you might say. So 
I first of all, I had to search for this guy's name on my own. Wilson PD did not give me this name. I had to work off of the fact that I received knowledge from one of Barbara's siblings that who had heard from police that I think his first name was Stacy. I did email one of the detectives at Wilson PD when, once I found this individual. I mean, I had to go through newspapers.com searching suicide 1981 Stacy Montana until I finally found an article. I asked Williston PD to confirm so I wouldn't be talking on the podcast by in, in the chance that there were two Stacys that committed suicide in 1981, you know, trying to fact check things. Got no response. Um, so I tracked down this guy's sisters in Northern California, actually, up in Wairika, and spoke to the sisters. And they confirmed that it was their brother because one of the sisters said, well, when I got your email, I figured you were either an old friend of my brother's or this has something to do with Barbara Cotton. So they knew that their brother had this association with this girl that is missing. And then in my episode five, I um, interviewed both sisters, and they are confident that their brother was not only, well, he was definitely, according to them, capable of murder. They had some really frightening stories to tell of their own. My whole listener, you know, everyone heard this on episode five, and then the I mean, next episode was this interview with Williston PD. And really the only thing I wanted to, not the only thing, but the main point I wanted to ask them was, was this Stacy Warder somehow cleared at some point? Because I have two sisters saying he was a bad dude and we've always thought he had something to do with Barbara's disappearance. Well, first of all, I should add, those two sisters were never spoken to by any law enforcement either. I was the first person to talk to them about this. Well, I, I, I find that unbelievable. And not not saying that someone's lying, but I find it, it kind of crazy that uh, that two sisters of this, um, I guess you can call him a person of interest, Stacey Warder. He was. Two sisters feel this way. Do you know what he was in prison for when he committed suicide? Yeah, it was a small thing. Uh, he, like, disorderly conduct, I think, something like that. And their sister said he he had mental issues. Um, he was kind of a drifter. I mean, according to the younger sister, they once burned their house down in California when they were kids. And a lot of other stuff that I don't even really want to talk about. So for 30 years, these two sisters were waiting for a call about Barbara Cotton, and you were that call? 40 years, yeah. 40 years. And so here's the interesting thing. You guys know about Team Adam, the detective, I think retired no. detectives who, you know, pro bono retired detectives. My understanding is that, well, more kind of interesting information that reflects on the, you know, I guess the power of a podcast sometimes. Um, Barbara's best friend, childhood friend, has been trying to find answers her whole life, you know, off and on. And 10 years ago, she managed to get the Williston newspaper to print an article. And then I come along 10 years after that. I was asking for question, answers to questions from Williston PD for weeks and weeks before the podcast came out. Barbara's childhood friend, Sandy Evanson, had been trying to get in return. She had returned a call never heard anything and was very frustrated and then after episode three of my podcast came out i got two e two emails from the pd she got a call barbara's sister got a call i mean it happened immediately and um i mean that's cool but it's also a little bit frustrating that it takes someone 
annoying guy like me with a microphone for that to sort of take place, right? But when you're ready for it, there's actually two persons of interest who hung themselves in jail. Let's let's talk about that in a second. I, I want to back up a little bit just to the time that she disappeared. She's 15 years old um, in this small city, large town, small city. And you described it a little bit like the Wild West where there was some, you know, with with this type of industry comes a bit of trouble. Uh, was she involved in any of this trouble? And uh, the party that she was at, was this something where there was um, any sort of illicit uh, drug use or alcohol consumption or anything um, sordid of nature? Was she involved in any of that? Yeah. Uh, so Barbara was starting to run a little bit, um, get into a little bit trouble, I guess. She was arguing a lot with her mother. Basically, Barbara wanted to move out of her house, which added to the fact that law enforcement originally thought she was a runaway, right? So there were a lot of arguments in the home, and Barbara was starting to, uh, I guess I don't know this for certain, but the party she was at, which I had to also track down, I mean, no one has heard of this party until I interviewed law enforcement, they did tell us that someone, this unnamed friend said they saw her at a party and Barbara's siblings had no idea about this. Barbara's friends, it's the first time anyone's heard about this party, but I did speak to the person who I believe was the host of the party. And yeah, lots of alcohol, lots of alcohol. And, you know, Barbara was uh, her behavior was risk that she had risk factors, right? She walked by herself a lot. She trusted everyone. She's walking around at night in a, in a city, like you said, where it's a little bit of a wild, wild west. So, And is it your belief that what led to her disappearance was a result of anything that might have happened at the party? Maybe somebody had followed her? Uh, or am I getting ahead of some details? We don't know. We don't know. But there are other persons of interest I could tell you about. This other individual who actually did murder two people. In fact, if I say the name Andy Johnson, you recognize her. She's, I know you guys have retweeted some of her stuff. She's an advocate for... Oh, yeah, yeah. Andy, yep. I had her on the podcast. Her childhood friend Penny Swanson was 12 years old and another girl, Renee Davidson, 9 years old when they were murdered in Rawlings, Wyoming. And that's how I got in touch with Andy because the man who murdered these two girls, Frank De La Pena, was in Williston when Barbara went missing. So he is another person of interest. And he left Williston, I believe, three weeks after Barbara went missing and immediately drove to Rawlins and tried to abduct several women and finally did manage to abduct these two young girls in Rawlins and murdered them the same night. So... Another strong person of interest, right? This guy gets arrested promptly, hangs himself in jail, just like Stacey Werder will do two months later. Okay, so now we have two, you were just about to say, I think the same thing I'm, I'm going to say, two people that are very closely related and possible suspects who hang themselves, they're, they're arrested and then they hang themselves uh, within a couple of, a few weeks of each other? Yeah, so Frank hung himself in late May, about one month after Barbara went missing, Stacy Werder hangs himself two months later in Montana. And the connections I do have with these guys, potential connections, are they both worked in the oil industry. 
aside from that thing they have in common, that they hung themselves in jail within three-month period of each other. They both were in Williston when Barbara disappeared. Stacy was seen with her that night. Frank was not, but Frank did kill two girls three weeks later. What do you guys think? Is that a coincidence? I mean, I think all these cases, any any unsolved missing persons case or unsolved murder, you're going to find more than one viable person of interest, at least character-wise, who was in the area at the time. I would absolutely focus more on Stacy, though, seeing that he was seen with him, um, with Barbara that night. Right, and I am doing that. I just sent out a, I guess... Technically, it's a, I'm petitioning the courts in Montana to get his um, autopsy inquest. So there's an there was an autopsy inquest done, and I've learned through well, you guys know how this goes. Um, a little bird told me there's photographs in that file. Um, unfortunately, when he's deceased, but it would be the closest. It's not something I would ever publish, but it would be the closest to us getting to know what Stacy looked like at the time of his death because we don't have a lot of photographs of him. And another interesting thing to add is pretty much nobody until some people I spoke with too recently, very few people except, uh, so Barbara's mother said she saw Barbara with Stacy the night she disappeared. And she kept referring to this guy as her boyfriend. None of her friends, no one else knows about this guy. So it must've been, I'm pretty sure she had just met Stacy. Going back to these two men who who hung themselves, has there been anything beyond what you have discovered? Maybe maybe people telling you about other disappearances, other murders that were in the area prior or just after? Because um, you, you discovered that, or or you found out that one of them had been. Uh, arrested for kidnapping and was it attempted murder or an actual murder uh frank de la pena killed two girls in rawlings is that what you're referring to yeah yeah exactly so aside from that is there anything else that you've looked at that that's maybe sort of adjacent to these these crimes like some unsolved murders or or disappearances around that time because i feel like you're on the heels of like a potential serial killer no i have not had a lot of time um but i will tell anyone who's listening so I just got some bad news last week. You know, Mont- or excuse me, the state of Wyoming have been fantastic with my open records request. Our hope was that because the state crime lab processed his van, uh, Frank's van, where the murders took place, and trailer. And you know, we were like, please let their please tell us that Montana kept forensic evidence from that and they looked and looked and they really did they did a great job and if they, you know they were themselves like oh, we're just so sorry we don't we don't know we don't have it anymore and even wor- I guess worse uh, there's no photographs either but I, I agree with you this guy could have killed other people Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Oh, Canada, a vast, idyllic land filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks, and polite, friendly folks. We have those things for sure, but there's a darker side to the Great White North, full of mystery, crime, the paranormal, and dark history. Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine Podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel with the Ottawa game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. James, what's your background? I'm just curious how you got into this uh, this case and podcast. Oddly, I studied photojournalism and English in college, and then I never worked with it at all. I moved to Sweden. I worked in um, web development and database development over 20 years, and I came back. I was doing that here in North Dakota, and I started on the podcast about three years ago as a reaction to not exactly fake news, but even just the untruth, like bar stool stories I've been hearing, the way people have taken Facebook to somehow be news. I don't know. I got in this situation where I just wanted to look at one story my first season and I guess focus on facts and critical thinking and and can we find the truth? Can one person find the truth? And kind of wanted to demonstrate to others like you can do this like anyone, not anyone, but you know, it's a lot of hard work, but ask more questions, you'll get more truth usually. But um, so I finally, I guess, dumped my IT career for now and uh, the good money that went with it to... uh, to do something I'm very passionate about. Uh, it's really commendable because what you're doing is something that you said it at the beginning of this, no one has done in, in 40 years now, over 40 years. So it has to be something really interesting to reprogram your your brain or reprogram the way you're thinking uh, career-wise to, to jump into something with no conclusion, because I can imagine being someone I don't, I'm not in IT, but I can imagine somebody in IT having a definitive result. Like you do this and this and this happens. It must be endlessly frustrating to do something on one end of the equation and not see the result, especially when you're talking about people who uh, you mentioned critical thinking, and and you you'd like to see more critical thinking. This must be loaded with non-critical thinking people. If nothing's happened in forty years, so I can't. Is this frustrating to you? And and how does that how how does your passion overcome that frustration? 
Yeah, it it gets frustrating. Um, you know, you get a lot of, I'm sure you guys got as well, a lot of leads from listeners. And, um, you know, you want to look at all of them. And some, some just, some are great tips. And some seem like you don't even, can't even quite connect the docs, dots yourself. How did this person come up with this theory? And um, I would say with this season, with Barbara Cotton, the most frustrating thing was that somehow it was quite obvious that, you know, I say we at this point, it's my podcast, but I have this great following and, and it's sort of a almost a, a mini movement that started for, for Barbara. We're not, as I, you know, I listened to your podcast recently about your new show, A Few Bad Apples with Catherine. Great show. And she kind of brought this up too about, I'm not anti-police, I'm just asking questions about, you know, why wasn't this person spoken to? You don't have to immediately go, well, we're not here to bad mouth the, the investigators back then. And we're like, no, we're not here for that reason either. We're trying to find answers to what happened to Barbara Cotton. So that part gets frustrating. And do you find that you hit a lot of roadblocks when people will automatically assume that your intention is to just exploit bad investigations or or mistakes that police have made when I, I think acknowledging the mistakes is more important just because then you can move on but you're not trying to exploit those mistakes uh, do people get that confused I think so and uh, you know I haven't had a lot of criticism I, I should say you know people who really want to know what happened to Barbara understand that okay in order to sort of reignite this investigation we still have to understand the what happened in the beginning. I mean, there's could be very important information by knowing what was not done. Right. But, um, as I told a friend of mine who is in law enforcement, not in Williston that I said to him, you know, in your career, I bet you had to arrest a lot of people that you didn't want to arrest, you know, cause you liked them. You were rooting for them. Right. I feel the same way when it comes to criticism towards law enforcement. I got a, a an email from a listener who said, I got, I, I guess I'll reach out to you, Mr. Walner. Like I'm not Mr. Walner, call me James, but you know, he says, I left a tip with Williston PD three weeks ago, you know, after a lot of discussions with my family, something happened in our family 11 days before Barbara went missing three blocks from where she went missing. We finally decided, you know, we're going to leave this tip. And it was, took a lot of courage and I have not heard a single word after leaving a voicemail and sending an email. So my point with my friend who's a cop who had to arrest people that he didn't want to arrest, this is something I don't want to hear. I don't want to have to tell people that this guy didn't get a... I don't want to tell this, but then I'm in the situation where, well, I have to. It's been three weeks. He's not even got a confirmation that they got his email. So I put it on the podcast called up the head of investigations there, got a comment from him. He says, that's not acceptable. And then he got a, he got a response within five hours. But I don't enjoy it. I don't want to tell that story. I want to find out what happened to Barbara. But I guess the case is, is that you have to do something like that because it's inevitable when you're looking at uh, something that's been unsolved for so long. The only way to get to these answers would be through something that you don't really enjoy doing, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the story. I can't just ignore it because people are uncomfortable with people criticizing law enforcement. I mean, that can't be the way our society works. And, uh, you know, I listened also to your Justice for Jacob with Eric Carter Landine, True Consequences. He also talked about that um, when they did that 10 Days for Jacob, I think it was called, and campaign. And he was also didn't enjoy doing that, but he had not heard anything for so many months. It wasn't something he did to criticize them. It's just, he's trying to get a response and it worked, right? Tell us about the state of the case, I guess. Has Barbara been legally declared deceased? Yes, she was in 1998. And my feeling on that is that her mother was getting close to the end of her life. She died in 2004. Her son, Barbara's older brother, Frank, died in 1998. Her brother, Frank, is also a person of interest, according to Williston PD. They told us that. And so just before he died, um, Louise Cotton, Barbara's mother, had her daughter legally declared deceased. And interestingly, there's a headstone in North Dakota where Frank is buried. It's a double headstone, and it has Frank's name on one side and Barbara's on the other, and it just says missing at the bottom. So it's a, it's a little interesting, or whatever word you would use, that she's buried. Well, she's not buried there. It's just a name on a headstone next to her brother, who Wilson PD say is a person of interest also. Was he at the party that night? Not to my knowledge, no. But Stacy Werder, I believe, was. And the state of the case, I guess, is they say it's open and ongoing. Have you guys had any experience with open and ongoing cases where the victim is legally declared deceased? And has it affected the open records laws in any way that you know of? I think it's supposed to get you additional files and, and paperwork or access to those uh, investigatory uh, files. But um, no, I don't think by from experience we've ever had that situation. Yeah, it makes for an interesting discussion because, you know, I'm in contact with other people who, who um, a son of a missing man here in North Dakota, he was he told me that law enforcement told him if they ever had him legally, his father legally declared, declared legally deceased, that they would have to shut down the investigation. But Wilston PD has said they will never shut down this investigation. And another thing I'll throw out there is that in my interview with Wilson PD, she did tell us that the record keeping, the documents are really sketchy until about 1985, four years after Barbara goes missing. And I've been assuming it's, you know, sloppy work. Things were not documented enough. When you say that the record keeping was sketchy, are you talking about like you said, missing documents, or is it a combination of missing documents and just poorly drafted uh, reports of the incident? I can't say with any confidence because I've not seen the file myself. But I do know that Wilson PD has told me in the interview that they have just boxes and boxes and boxes of information and as some sort of indication what a big inter- uh, investigation was done. And yet none of that stuff contains the stuff we really need, like the interview with Stacey Werder, if it ever happened, or this unnamed friend who saw her at a party. And so it was kind of like they're saying at the one hand, we've got all this stuff, 
but we don't have the stuff you're asking for, but that doesn't mean it was, it didn't happen. It's it just become kind of frustrating. And uh, are you still working with law enforcement? I just sent a follow-up tip to Detective Derry a few minutes ago. Uh, I sent him a uh, tip last week, and he responded right away, and he found he said he found it interesting, um, and I just followed up with another one. Um, I just told my listeners in my last episode that I have, there's something that, unfortunately, I can't talk about. You get to this point where, and it must, I was so, I told my listeners, I'm so sorry, I can't tell you more about this. You followed along with me all this way, and now I have this tip, I guess, for Wilson PD, and I just can't tell you. It's so frustrating as a podcaster. You feel like you're letting your audience down, right? But I just cannot reveal. But basically what I told them was, I don't feel like I have the key to this story, but I think I know where there is which lock they need to unlock. If they can, if law enforcement can find their own key or pick that lock, that's a better way of saying it. If they can pick that lock, we might get some answers. Are you this close or this... Um in the weeds with any other disappearance or missing person or unsolved case, whether it's something that you've covered or, or you plan on covering, or is this about as deep as you've gotten? This is probably the deepest I've gotten. And in fact, my earlier seasons were not all unsolved cases. They were, I did a couple documentary style things about resolved cases, but I think my future is about, um, you know, missing persons. I, someone asked me about, 12 years ago, I was just thinking about the other day, you, know, you get that question, if you became independently wealthy, what would you do? That whole question. And my answer was, I think I'd start some kind of company or organization to help families find their missing family members. And that was like 12 years ago. So I guess it's always been in here. And with this season, I honestly, I kind of like to stick on this topic or whatever you want to call it. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work and keep us in the loop on any case developments as as the podcast moves along. I sure will. And I, I cannot thank you guys enough for having me on. This was a big day for me. I've told a lot of friends. Uh, you guys have done fantastic work. And um, a lot of people I know listen to you. I remember listening to you guys on started on an airplane about four years ago and um, got hooked right away. So congrats to all your, your great work. Oh, thank you so much. And, and same to you to echo what Tim was saying. Uh, this isn't, this isn't like you're seeing right now. Like it's not easy. It's it, there's, there's not, there's not a lot of money involved in it and it's a hundred percent passion. And you know, when you speak about this, you can hear it. And, uh, you know, if there's anything else that we can do for you, any way we can, you know, other than spreading the word with this episode and with Barbara's story, let us know. Um, the the work that uh, you have right now, there's a petition out there, right, that to sign. Um, if you want to give that information, uh, that would be that'd be great. We went with change.org. First time I did a change.org petition. And, you know, I thought, we're up in rural North Dakota, you know, I have a good following, but I thought if we get a thousand signatures, that'll be cool. And then we got two and we're at 3,200 now. So, and I've, the, um, policy makers or change makers, um, is the chief of police of Williston 
and one of the city council members. So they get emails, you know, when we, when we hit 3,000, I'm sure they got an email again, like, hey, we're still here. And it can be found at change.org simply by searching uh, Barbara Cotton. Or you could find it from my Facebook group or dakotaspotlight.com. There's a link from there as well. And yeah, I'd greatly appreciate um, some more signatures there on that petition. And the petition basically states, we're just trying to encourage Wilson PD to put dedicated resources on Barbara's case for a certain time.